0: Welcome to Beyond This Point. I'm Gabriel Stromberg, Creative Director of Civilization. So, what is the point of Beyond This Point? The inspiration for this podcast really came about through our studio, being so inspired by those around us who we work, collaborate, and engage with—artists, business owners, designers, and leaders of all types— We recognize the value in having access to these distinct perspectives and wanted to create a conversation that puts a spotlight on different ways of seeing, thinking, and making. This episode of Beyond This Point brought us to the beautiful Design Within Reach showroom in Belltown. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Aisha Purcell and Cameron Campbell, two amazing creative powerhouses, to discuss the theme of the designed life. Our first guest, Cameron Campbell, is a design strategist, historian, influencer, trend forecaster, and trendsetter. Over the course of her career, she has built brand and product strategies for Boeing, Apple, Nike, and Herman Miller, among many others. Outside of Cameron's work, she takes community involvement to new levels, whether she's teaching strategy classes at local design schools, jurying design competitions, or working with nonprofits to help create better places to work, learn, and live. I first met Cameron when she introduced a documentary on Massimo Vignelli at a film festival last spring. I developed an immediate friend crush, and since then, anytime I get the pleasure of having a conversation with Cameron, whether at a dinner party or design event, she always manages to introduce me to something new. Whether it be a designer or a book or film, Cameron's breadth of design knowledge in all fields is truly exceptional. Our second guest, Aisha Bursell, is an award-winning product designer and co-founder of Burcell & Sec., an innovative design firm in New York that partners with leading brands and companies like Target, Herman Miller, Hewlett-Packard, Johnson & Johnson, Toyota, just to name a few. Aisha is particularly known for her no-nonsense approach to design, and her solutions are always beautiful, functional, and human-centric. She is also the creator and author of Design the Life You Love, a workbook that centers on Aisha's unique philosophy, which takes the process of design and applies it to the task of designing one's life. Both of these women continually prove through the work that they are doing that design has the power to impact business, culture, and all aspects of life in a truly profound and meaningful way. And now, let's go beyond this point. To start, both of you seem to me to be master life designers. What exactly goes into a designed life?
1: Oh wow. Um since you just came out with the book, you should really Oh great.
2: throw <laughs> me on the I know all of a sudden <laughs> modestly
1: superficial.
2: I don't know. <laughs> so what goes into a life well designed?
0: Yes. You
2: no, know, I think that um a life well designed is an original life that a life that um kind of looks like you, feels like you, that's um founded on your values. Um, things that you believe in and it's unique because it's yours and um, And you share it with other people, but it's really important that it's um, Kind of it's your perspective on life And so the book is really about I talk about you know in design We often think of the other person um, the users who are you know, we empathize with (laughs) the other but this is maybe the The place where you empathize with yourself and you are the user of your own life and you have to figure out um, what you love, what you want out of life and build coherence with who you are and the kind of life you want to live. And then once you figure that out, um, hopefully you bring other people in and you bring them in as collaborators. And this could be, you know, your husband, this could be your mom this could be your friends um, because design is also a collaboration and luckily we we all have other people in our lives and they need to be part of our design as well
1: you know and just to build on that that's very much the way that I've lived my life from going from the art world to the design world and the things that I'm super passionate about and have allowed me to have the incredible experiences I've had and most of that is the openness to the world around you, that ability to really be open to the things that inspire you every day, keeping your head up and not ignoring any of the things that are around you, whether they delight you or disgust you. It's sort of like these are the things that are the balances of life. And so for me, it's that's very much about designing my life is seeing that balance in it all and how do we bring that together in a cohesive way and recognize each and one and all of us?
0: So it's about making the most of what you got?
1: 100%. Yes. I mean, we're all, we're all in this world, whatever world that is. We, we can talk about other dimensions at some point, but um, depending on how much more wine I have. Um, but I mean, that's really it. It's like we, we've all been put here in this place. And I mean, look how many of us are here tonight. It's like we are all here to support each other. And then there's all these other people that we're all out there connected with. And for me, that's a really big part of seeing what's important in designing your life.
0: I was reading your bio and there was a Har" quote. Ooh, which one? Uh, it, it was, uh, <laughs> verbalizing design is another act of design. And for me, I interpret this to mean that it's our job as designers, not just to design, but also to communicate, to teach, to share and connect. Yeah. I mean, you obviously both see these things as being important. What role do they play in your design process?
1: You know, again, it's that awareness of life around us. And I mean, it's our jobs as those in the, in the creative field, whether we're designers or writers or graphic designers or product designers or photographers is it's our job to communicate what the optimism of the future can be, and so for me, that's really the translation of it. I mean, I was thinking a lot about you tonight, and like wrote how that we connected. Down, by the way, What's <laughs> that?
0: I hope somebody's tweeting that. That was an amazing. I yeah. <laughs> um, well,
1: I, I think a lot about Aisha because we've known each other for about twenty years now. Right. I would we've say, been. and I think about what you did for the workplace just with resolve. I mean, you were really looking at the world in this amazing future landscape and communicating what a work environment could be in a new way. And I think people are now just starting to I mean that was how how long ago did you design that? That was 15 years ago. Yeah. And so you were really <laughs> starting to establish like how people are working today and sort of this idea of collaboration and such. So for me that's very much the Kenyahara quote is it's up to us to really find
2: that way to voice that future of optimism.
0: And, and uh, Aisha, this that's what this book is about, isn't it?
2: Yes, I think... I'm so glad you you mentioned optimism because it's kind of, I think, one of the key traits of being a designer is that optimism that we always think that we're going to come up with a better solution to the most complex problems and that optimism drives the, the energy and the passion and keeps us interested. And in. so... You know, I talk about when you design your life, you need that optimism because it's the most complex of projects and there are so many constraints and dichotomies of you know, things you want and things you need. Especially that, today. Yeah, exactly, that are completely opposing each other and so um, you need to look at that with optimism and, and um, kind of what ask the what-if questions, open-mindedness to um, not being afraid, um, to sometimes ask even stupid questions or think the wrong things because sometimes the best ideas come from there.
0: To to speak of another quote, um, in your book you have a quote by Greta Gerwig, who nice, yes. I am a huge fan of. Yeah, we uh, all are. I uh, am. Actress and writer. In fact, I just rewatched Frances Ha for the third time a couple weeks ago. Wow.
2: The scene okay, where y- you're the more fan. <laughs> the scene where she's
0: running down the street to so David Bowie is one of my favorite movie scenes. Uh, uh, she uses a, a baseball metaphor uh, for, to describe her experience as a writer. She says, you strike out a lot, even if you're great. As someone who has struck out quite a lot over the years, uh, one of the most important things that I've learned from being a designer is, is understanding that this is part of the game. And I'm gonna extend the sports metaphor even further. I'm imagining that I'm sitting with two people who have really good batting averages and-
2: uh, <laughs> I was like, I don't know any of these you See, you didn't come to the talk yesterday. You would have kind of learned of my failures, but okay. <laughs> How do
0: you see striking out as fitting into the process of design and ultimately life?
2: So striking out is when you miss a point, right, in baseball and not the baseball yeah, you person. don't make it to a base. <laughs> That's all I know. We'll ba- baseball's
0: a the base. wooden stick and the... <laughs> Thank you.
2: <laughs> so, you know... So
0: There's a cup involved, I think. <laughs> <laughs> nice.
2: And it's not a teacup, I <laughs> I
1: think I'm blushing. Yeah.
2: That's, uh, so, um, you know, I um, when the economy crashed, all our clients took yeah. their work in-house because yeah. we were an easy um, line item on their budgets, this external design studio, mm-hmm. and they thought, Pure Self Plus Sec. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we lost... Um, all of our clients, it felt like overnight. I really didn't see it coming. And um, you know, in hindsight, I should have been kind of more vigilant. But when I looked for work, I couldn't find it. And then I went and um, looked for work through headhunters. And mm-hmm. they took one look at me and they said, you're not hireable. You know, you've never worked <laughs> in an office before. Forget it. It's like, have you ever done a performance review? No. No. <laughs> You're not missing out on much. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, you've never had a boss. So um, so that was kind of like, when I heard that, and I was like, nobody's going to give me a job. Um, I can't seem to find new projects on my own. Um, that was like hitting rock bottom. Mm-hmm. But what happened is, from that rock bottom, I was able to use that time to develop my design process, deconstruction, reconstruction, then I wanted to apply that design process to my life and I thought this would be an interesting experiment. And from that, you know, a couple of years later, the book came out. So it feels like if it wasn't for that, what felt like a the worst moment of like, how, how can I be in this situation? It actually was kind of like the opening of a door and for me, the biggest lesson was, like, everything is an experiment and you don't know what's going to happen. And I learned to say yes at that moment. People, if they asked me something, I said yes. And, <laughs> and that's, you know, I feel like that's, um, uh, so I have two um, girls, 10 and 11, and that's kind of the lesson I want to give, tell them. Yeah. Say so yes. Not to you know. There's a couple things that maybe you shouldn't say yes just yet. <laughs> For a long time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, you know, sort of thinking about that recession, it was hard on all of us because you know I, not I wasn't quite middle aged yet, but was definitely reaching that age, and I, I think had grown really comfortable with where things were going and what we were doing and the investments you had for projects um, and to really help drive new things. And it did. All of a sudden, it, whoosh, it was like the rug was pulled out from mm-hmm. underneath so many of us. And it brings back that scrappiness, that scrappiness that I think is so important in so many of us that are in design. Because again, it goes back to that optimism of you know, whatever the situation is, is really coming together as a group of people and finding unique opportunities no matter what the income intake will be but you know you can continue to make a difference. So for me that was like the big lesson to be reminded of. Mm-hmm. All those lessons you actually learn, you know, in your 20s where, you know, you're living to 20 in an apartment in London or San Francisco or wherever you were at the time that those are the best important, those are the most important times in your life and they will come back and maintain those relationships that you have through your life because you all will pull each other through. And so for me, that was a really one of those good strikeout reminders. (laughs) Yes.
0: I think it's interesting that you both think of design as this thing that connects as this thing that's inclusive and universal Mm -hmm. design can often be associated with with status and an elevated lifestyle as something Mm -hmm. that someone uses to, uh, to stand out. But again, using words like accessible, inclusive, you guys have seemed to have found this balance of your work being extremely elevated and design-minded, yet accessible, even effortless and, and human. How do, you, how do you go about achieving this balance?
2: Um. <laughs> do you feel like you do that? <laughs> I was going to make a smart-ass comment about, like, <laughs> that's what happens when you get women around the table conversation, I mean, turns inclusive and, you know, yep. democratic, so... Emotionally driven. Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. So. <laughs> well, you know, our, um, the last podcast uh, we had, we had another one of my design heroes, uh, Lance yeah. Wyman. Yeah. And that was one of the kind of primary focuses of his work, was uh, making something that everybody could connect to and everyone could understand and relate to. We do. We live in this world of design where um, you're always kind of towing the line between wanting to stand out and wanting to create quality work, but you also don't want to alienate anyone and you want to make it an experience that everybody can tap into.
2: You know, I used to be, I think, a more individualistic designer when I was younger, but I learned over time that it's so much better when you work with other people and, Mm -hmm. you know, um, they bring so much to the table that um now I think of like, I want to work with my friends, and then I want to become friends with my clients, and
0: um, <laughs> it makes a difference.
2: Yeah. So
1: It's funny, I, I was on the phone with a, a friend of mine uh, today in New York, and I so admire her for exactly that comment is. I mean, she always knows who she can go to from a design standpoint um, for whatever's going on in her project, but I so admire her patience in the relationships that she builds with her clients over time. So, I mean, she does brand work and so she knows that she has like this set point of time where she's developing something with them that is going to be really incredible and then nothing's going to happen for years because you don't have to update these things all the time and they always come back to her and that's the really, that's the key thing is like, how do you really understand the strong contextual way in which to build relationships that you may not be working for them all the time. Sorry, I move my hands around a lot. Um, You may not be working with them all the time, but how do you you continue to get something from them um, in a way that feeds you in a truly emotional and um, intellectual way? and continue to do that for them. That's that's a really key
2: design your life moment. It really is also because, you know, there's so little time. Yeah. And I find that, you know, when you're working, you have to like, you have family, you have work, and like your friends go kind of on the wayside. Yep. Um, so if you're working with them, then what you're doing is, you know, you need to work, but you want to be with your friends. And hey, you're working together. You talk to each other, you exchange emails, and while you're doing that, you're like uh, talking about other things, and and that really, to me, is the um, makes the whole thing so much more enjoyable. And um, plus, they they look out for you, yeah. You know, uh...
1: and I would say that that's what also creates the best work for a client. So when you start talking about that um, sort of the longevity and sustainability, which I think is not well, sustainability and environmental and a social responsibility. Responsible point of view is very important, but it's it's that's what it's that heart of things that I think allows us to create the objects or the communications and etc. that really pull through for the long term. Mm-hmm.
0: I think it's interesting that um, you both recognize relationships as being so important. Relationships are, are knowing someone, and for me, um, that is always the key to to creating good design is mm-hmm. is knowing someone mm-hmm. and uh, knowing their story and listening.
1: Yeah. Sometimes we forget to do that.
0: I wanted to shift gears and talk about design heroes. My favorite part of your book, or one of my favorite parts, is uh, the section on design heroes. Yes. <laughs> uh, there is a, there's a bit of an aha moment in the book that I don't want to give away. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's Thank But pre- It's pretty amazing. <laughs> so uh, for both of you, who are your heroes, both in and outside of design? Oh,
1: wow. One, there's a, a New York writer who I can't get enough of her work. It's Suri Hutzbedt. I mean, she's a very well-known nonfiction writer from an art and psychology standpoint. She's a very well-known speaker on neurology. She also is an amazing fiction writer. So anytime I can inhale anything of hers, because she has just this incredible, incredible perspective of the world and how we all connect to um, each other. And I think because you spent a lot of time in the Midwest, Who's here from the Midwest? I'm Sure. Okay. There you go. Right. So you all will love her work because she she's from um, she's from St. Cloud, Minnesota, and she ends up in New York at Columbia University. And so even her fiction work has this incredible story of having to live in these two worlds and how you're accepted or not accepted. So I would say she's one of one of my heroes. Um, also, Dries Van Noten, um, yes. who is one of my fa- my fashion heroes. Um, Ashley has used a lot of her work as the inspiration to his shows, so for me I love how that connection has come together. From a design standpoint, there's like too many to think about, but um, but I, I really love the designers who can really take things down to the basics and build it up appropriately for whatever the object is or the communication pieces is, and I'm sure there's probably some of those designers here in this space. but.
2: There's too many to name. There's too many to name. Good, because now you've done like a couple pages of your book. Oh, good. <laughs> it's, uh, so my design hero is uh, Rowena Reed Castello. And when I met her, I was a master's student um, at um, Pratt Institute. And she was 80-some years old, but nobody kn- knew her age. So we would be like, She's 80 or she's 86, or you know, it's everybody feared her because she was like, she took everything so seriously and could be incredibly critical of your work and you wanted to do good because um, she knew what she was talking about. And the reason she's my hero is because she developed um, this whole curriculum around how to teach three dimensional design. like you would teach music, you know, it wasn't something that was um, hard to nail down. She, she would tell you in different exercises, you need to do this, and then you need to do this, and, you need, and then we would all learn how to design in three dimensions. And um, she was very strong, uh, beautiful, and, um, and she was my first friend in New York, actually, because... Um, she took me, you know, I was alone in New York. I had just arrived from Turkey and, uh, you know, New York, it's hard to make friends. And um, she took me under her wings and um, she showed me Dean and De Luca for the first time. Nice. <laughs> when Dean and De Luca was just a small kind of store. And then she had this habit of just eating half of her sandwich. And I learned that from her. She would be like, okay, you put the other half. Aside. That's a good. That's actually good for all of us. To exactly. Consider. Because when you get hungry in two hours, you can eat that. Mm-hmm. And um, she also taught me about, she would be like, Aisha, if you need to shop, you need a personal shopper. That part sure. I never understood. <laughs> right. But she would go shop with um, personal shoppers. Anyway, um... <laughs> She was this amazing woman, um, timeless, really. And um, But with one of the things that she taught is if you want to create um, a beautiful form in three dimensions, you, not, you need to identify what's the dominant element. And then you need to identify the subdominant and then the subordinate. And those th- three things in tension will create a beautiful form. And so... That's why in the book, if you do it, you'll see I'm very interested in when you reconstruct your life or when you do any design, you have to identify those three things. What's the dominant of that idea? What's the subdominant? And what's the subordinate? Subordinate is kind of like the cherry on top. If you can figure those things out and hold them in tension, Mm -hmm. you'll have a beautiful design. And whether it's in life or in product. And so that comes from Marina. Nice. I
0: love that. And you get rid of the rest, right? You get rid of the rest.
2: You get rid of the rest. Strip it down, take it apart. Exactly. Because, you know, you just need to know what you want to invest in. And we only have so much time.
0: So uh, your design approach, uh, it's very, very minimal, stripped down, uh, yet human-centric. It makes me think a long line of designers who focus on utility and experience. Everyone from... Charles and Wright Eames, to Russell Wright, Massimo Vignelli, uh, to even designers from the, the Bauhaus like Marcel Brewer. Do you consider yourself part of this tradition? Do you consider yourself a modernist?
2: You're going to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of name me along those greats. It's, um, you know, no, I don't consider myself a modernist, or um, I just consider myself. Sp- as someone whose like world we view is through the lens of design, I joke about what's the saying that you know if if you give a carpenter a, a, a hammer, they'll see everything as a nail I and mean, that's me. I see everything as design and so um, but I am uh, very flattered that you you see the human centric. Um, I am human centric because I think Um, when I first learned about um, design, it was a family friend who came to tea and um, showed me that a teacup has these curved edges so that it can fit your lips. Mm -hmm. And it has a handle so that you can hold hot liquid without burning yourself. And it has this saucer so that if you spill some, you don't ruin, in that case, my mom's beautiful tablecloth. And that's, so human-centered, you know, that was my first lesson, and, um, and it stuck with me. It's funny, because when you asked that question, I was like thinking, oh, how would I describe, like,
1: my passion of life? And I would say it's like, it's, a human, it's humanist design, it's not modernist design. It's just yeah. really knowing how those very simple connections to objects and such can change any moment.
2: But you also yeah. see everything through the lens of design, don't
1: you? Yeah, that, I mean, yeah. it's because it's yeah, through design, through history, through cultural context, through emotion, through. When
0: I when I first learned that you have a background as a historian, uh-huh. yeah, I thought of course, yeah.
1: I mean, you yeah. have such
0: you have such a great sense of design it history. In, push
1: it out, yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, when we're interviewing for designers at our studio, uh, that's one of the things that we're um, really concerned with—not just that they. They know current design, but that they have a sense of the evolution of design and visual culture. Why, why do you think this is important, or why is this important to you?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, the contextual aspects of design and history are so important to anything we do because, you know, as we're finding out, history repeats itself, but it's like there are always lessons that we can learn from all of it. And for me, design isn't just, um, you know, an aesthetic practice. It's really understanding the what, why, how, and when That someone created something. So you can look at the work of, um, well, we'll go to George Nelson and we'll Mm -hmm. talk about Action Office. And, um, you know, Herman Miller is obviously our connection and sort of the workplace. So it's it's easy for us to bring that into the conversation. But you think about what he was doing in understanding where um, sort of modern industrial workplaces were going and sort of that white collar workplace world and what he was doing to really change that And then you see someone like Aisha come around in 1998, 99 Mm -hmm. and really starting to rethink that and what we're seeing now. So for me, it's it's not about design repeating itself um, and looking at things on Instagram or Pinterest and going, wow, that's a really beautiful object and sort of recreating it, but understanding why those designers did what they did and how they started understanding where they could start pushing the materiality. And sort of their um, what they could do in the manufacturing process um, and those sorts of things so for me that's why the, the context is so important so we're not just repeating a visual form but we're understanding where people and where we need to push
2: things you yeah, know I'm so glad you mentioned that because it you reminded me when um, I started designing resolve mm-hmm. I took um, the uh, that red book mm-hmm. a facility based on yeah, was it 1969? I can't remember what year that was written. Yes, I hope nobody from Herman Miller is listening to us. Yeah, I know, but we can't but, okay. remember. <laughs> but Probe's book around yep. Action Office. Yep. I took that book, and all the principles still applied. They sure do. 30 years later. Yep. But the, um, the technology had changed, and um, some of the ways in which people worked had changed. Yep. There were a lot more women in offices. Mm-hmm. And, um, they were dressed down Fridays and all those things. Yep. But the principles of design were the same. And yep. so in a way, um, I was able to take that and then move it to, you know, 30 day 30 years later. Yep. And, um. It's huge. I mean, yeah. and, you can, and you, totally exactly. yeah, you can see that. And you can totally see that. Exactly. You can
1: see that. I mean, it's the same when it comes to type. I mean, you know, I was having this conversation with a friend in New York the other day who's, you know, a, he's a pretty well-known type designer. And that's kind of where his passion is. And that's really what user experience is. It's like, knowing these things from the past that can be applied in new ways. And so you have to know where you can um, where you can stretch them and where you should stretch them and where you can push them to new levels and where you need to pull back. And that's why the context is... That's why I've lo- I taken a lot of information. And I end up pushing a lot of it out. And I know people get overwhelmed with that sometimes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: speaking of context, do you think the way that designers relate and, and actually learn about history is changing. And I'm thinking particularly about social media, Instagram, uh, Pinterest. I think for the first time people are seeing images and they don't know where they came from. They're seeing design and they're kind of just using it as wallpaper. Um, mm-hmm. And we, we curating their, their Pinterest boards and not really understanding like who made them and they're losing context. Yep. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think about this?
1: Well, you know how I feel on this. <laughs> I can go off on it for a while, but, um, but I won't. <laughs> But I won't. Um, You know, I definitely think they have a purpose, you know, within our everyday. I mean, there are some incredible people in which to follow on Instagram. I can name a few right here.
0: And I'm not knocking Instagram. No, 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 I'm not either, but it's sort of like. I'm
2: like,
1: Bear 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 Puppy Cat. (laughs) that follows no it's my cat. Um, Bear has a few followers here so um, so I mean it's it's a really great place to you know when you do find um, uh, you know a couple people that can quickly find incredible things within the world and you can quickly go through them and you know my hope with it is that we use that as a way kind of like the card catalog back in my day at school I'm an art historian so believe me I'm I was combing through a lot of stuff and so, for me, I use it as that way to inspire me to really find out something and really understand what's going on and how that connects to the emotions and the social cultural context of what's going on in the world. So, I think it's it's a great tool for that, you know.
0: Yeah, um, the library is my is my special creative place. Um, <laughs> still, I still go to the library to do research. It's
1: a great thing about Seattle. We still do that here.
0: We have a, we have so many beautiful libraries to choose from. Oh. And it's so much better than a Google search, I
1: think. Um, Michael Rock is a pretty well-known graphic designer uh, in New York. Um, He worked on the um, Times Square, or not Times Square, um, Grand Central Station redesign. And he had an article in the New York Times a couple weeks ago around sort of the importance of understanding context of design and sort of how it applies to Instagram and all of that. So type in Michael Rock, New York Times. It's a great article.
0: I want to kind of go back to the, the topic of striking out. One of my favorite things that you said in your book uh, was that sometimes you need to be open and you need to have empathy because sometimes you'll encounter designs that maybe seem bad at first, but they can turn into something great. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really inspiring. Being at uh, lots of design critiques, uh, that's something that I've learned over the years is really important because good ideas can come from anywhere. Yes. Well, one of the things that I've, um, that I've learned is uh, sometimes we can be so hard on things when we first see them, and we can be so judgmental. And maybe this applies to the way that we interact with life and with the people around us, um, that sometimes you, uh, you need to give things a chance, and they'll eventually evolve into what you need.
2: You make me think is that the, um, one of the things that's um, key to being creative is being playful. Because when you're playing, you, we're not afraid of making mistakes. You know, if you've seen kids play, they're just trying different things and they're not thinking... You know, they're not judging, they're just mm-hmm. doing. Um, that's really the mood of design. And, uh, and in the book, I try to make that very apparent because... And in, in the book is playful, like you said, it's playful about something very serious. Um because I wanted people to to pick this book up and feel like I can do this. You know, even if they're not creative, I can do this. And um and it's really about designing something requires a lot of courage um, because you're taking a risk and you're um projecting yourself to the future based on what you know today. Um so and that requires courage. Um, and then when it comes to your life, it, it requires even more courage. And, um, and I talk about, like, um, if you deconstruct your life, which is the first step, you're never going to, and trust me, uh, you're never going to be able to put it back together the way it was before. And I give this example of a camera. You know, if you take apart the camera, um, can you put it back together again? And I've only had one person tell me Yes to this day, but the idea is once you break it apart, you see it differently, and you can't put it back the way it was before, and this this is the same thing with your life, so if you have a perfect life, don't deconstruct it, because (laughs) 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 it's like, uh, so that's kind of the, and when you do that, you need to be playful, and and not, you have to go with your gut, and so and don't judge yourself. Um, and, and then take, take yourself seriously at the same time because some of those ideas are mm-hmm. really where the good ideas come from. And then you also have to reconstruct it because um, deconstruction by itself um, is quite destructive. Mm-hmm. So it's important that you reconstruct it. And when you reconstruct it, you know um, you can't have everything. That's really key. Um, and so you make those three choices about, you know, what you want to really focus on. Great. Well, I think that's a Hi Cameron, thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Beyond This Point is created by Civilization, a design firm rooted in social change. The podcast is audio engineered by Dave West and produced by Eric Blood. Listen to more of our podcasts at beyondthispoint.design.